Welcome to the Feathered Desert, a podcast all about desert bird feeding in the southwestern region of the United States. Hi, this is Cheryl, and welcome to the Feathered Desert, a podcast all about uh, bird feeding in the Southwest Desert, and Kirsten and I are going to discuss um, a professor of ornithology, author Augustus Allen, the first professor of ornithology, and how duck hunting with a colored camera led to Sap Sucker Park in um, New York. So when customers come into our Wild Birds Unlimited nature shop in Mesa, they are often drawn to the large TV in the corner. What is the scene on the screen? It is the activity at the bird feeders in Sapsucker Woods in Ithaca, New York. Well, this is the story of Sapsucker Woods and the man who named it. And Kirsten's gonna tell us about Dr. Allen. Yes, I was actually kind of excited about this one. So Arthur Augustus Allen, uh, parents were real alliterative with that one. (laughs) That must have been tough when he was a kid. (laughs) So Dr. Allen was the first professor of ornithology at Cornell University in New York State. As a matter of fact, if not for him lobbying the university to create a doctorate program in ornithology, there might not be one today which would really just change the whole face of birding. If you think about it, yeah. Almost the entire world. (laughs) So Dr. Allen was the first to graduate from the doctorate program after it was established in 1915. He had been teaching at the university since 1910. He actually founded the university's ornithology lab in 1911. And Dr. Allen taught at Cornell University for 46 years. Now that's... That's, that's a long time. 46 years is a long time to teach in any one place. He's actually credited with several significant contributions of the study of birds. Well, within 46 years, I'd imagine you probably yeah. came up with a few things yes. <laughs> that were new and interesting. Um, he's also the author of several books. Uh, he wrote The Book of Bird Life in 1930, American Bird Biographies in 1934, The Ornithology Laboratory Notebook in 1936, and the golden plover and other birds in 1939. Then, if you th- when you look at the years, it's probably groundbreaking information. Yeah, I'm sure it was. The, the first of things to mention anything. An ornithology laboratory notebook, I'm sure that wasn't ever published before. That, because he established the first one. Yeah. yeah. So he's also responsible for many phonograph records and book sets from 1940 to 1964. So he's probably the one person who recorded the first songs of some birds. Yes. Gosh. Um, It should be noted that his wife, Elsa Allen, was also a graduate of Cornell University and with a PhD in ornithology. Definitely. Now, this one I thought was really interesting because I actually have uh, a book on... Um, extinct animals and it talks about the ivory-billed woodpecker in it. So I, this I one, thought you would think this was cool. Yeah, I thought this one actually I think I, in the book that I have has a picture of Dr. Allen, which I didn't even realize who it was until after we did this podcast. And I was like, hmm, I think it's the guy in the book. So in 1935, Dr. Allen led an expedition to the Singer Tract in Louisiana to search for the ivory-billed woodpecker. He did observe it and discovered um, 
what turned out to be the last definite sighting and observation of this woodpecker. So he is responsible for the photographs and records of the ivory-billed woodpecker that are on record today. So that does lead me to believe that in the book that I have, it's actually a picture of a guy like with binoculars or a camera, something like that, with the ivory-billed woodpecker. And so I think that's actually a picture of him taking a picture of the ivory building pecker. Because <laughs> yeah, he actually has a bachelor uh, art degree, bachelor's of art degree. Yeah. So he went into photography and then somehow or another ended up on birds. Well, birds, yeah. <laughs> So really, really interesting. That ivory-billed woodpecker, boy, I wish that was one of the ones that was just hidden away somewhere and we couldn't find him because, oh, that's quite a specimen to see. Um, so Dr. Allen is one of the founders of the Wildlife Society, an organization that is a leader in wildlife science, management, and conservation in the United States. And then until his death, he was a member of the advisory board of the National Association of Audubon Societies. So quite a few accomplishments yes, there. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> So um, with, with all these accomplishments in one lifetime, how does Sap Sucker Woods and Dr. Allen fit in together? Well, there's a story behind, behind it, and the story goes like this. So in October of 1951, Dr. Allen wrote an article in National Geographic titled Duck Hunting with a Colored Camera. Now in 1951, color film was probably just becoming coming into its own yeah photography um was probably color photography was coming just coming into its own so we could understand why that would be an article that had a lot of interest yeah especially as ducks so many different colors in ducks during breeding season having a photo a color photo was probably mind-blowing yes and he's promoting not hunting it but taking a picture of yeah. it. So I liked his play on words. Hunting with, with a camera. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, with his article. And then six months after the article was written, so now we're in 1952, uh, Dr. Allen received a letter from a total stranger, and it, the stranger was Mr. Stewart. And Mr. Stewart had taken the article or the information in the article that Dr. Allen had written and he decided that he was going to take up hunting with a camera, only he wanted to hunt woodpeckers or take pictures of woodpeckers. But after two weeks of trying, uh, Mr. Stewart still did not have his photo of a woodpecker. Really? So he, only two weeks? Yeah. Oh my God. Really? You gave up after <laughs> two weeks? I still, it's been years and I still don't have a good picture of a woodpecker. <laughs> perfectionist, for sure. Well, sure. you know, at different times, it was probably easier to contact Dr. Allen then, right, right, then right. than it is now. So he contacted Dr. Allen through a letter. And these two enjoyed their correspondence so much that eventually it led to... Um, an invitation for Dr. Allen and his wife to visit the stewards who actually were in Arizona. So um, Dr. Allen uh, did come out and visit Mr. Stewart and showed him how to take uh, photographs. Well, two two years later, now we're in 1954, Mr. Stewart became so um, successful at taking photographs that he entered, that he won an international photography contest and he won first prize. Nice. So Mr. Stewart was so elated that he asked Dr. Allen if he had a favorite project at the university and would he like some help with it? Okay, so here it goes. Dr. Allen said yes. And he shared with Mr. Stewart his love for the woodlands around the university. Um, Dr. Allen had already named 
the unspoiled wilderness sapsucker woods. And that's because he spent a lot of time out there mm. looking for birds. And he would bring his friends, sometimes artist friends or other people that he knew yeah. out there walking around. And he named it after the yellow-bellied sapsucker that nests there. And he, Dr. Allen was actually one of the first to recognize the bird actually was nesting in this area. Oh, nice. And he always dreamed of preserving the area as a bird sanctuary. So Mr. Stewart said, it shall be done. <laughs> and Mr. Stewart, who was also a Cornell Lab alum, which helped. Of course, yeah. Um, he and his aunt bought 110 acres. So the uh, 110 acres of what Dr. Allen um, said was, you know, the area that he wanted to protect. He fenced the area to protect it from development, but he also encouraged generous neighbors in the area near the university to donate an additional 29 acres. That is and nice. And when that was set up, Dr. Allen and Mr. Stewart constructed a, um, a dike, a 1,500-foot dike, to flood a field and five additional acres of woodland. And the result was... A 10-acre pond, ideal for wood ducks, herons, and brown creepers. And they didn't do this by themselves. They did. If I didn't mention it, they did have to use the New York um, State Conservation Department. Um, they needed their help to do this. The next project was the ranch-style building and broad windows overlooking the pond. And the building in where laboratories, sound recording rooms, photographic workroom, and aviary for research in bird behavior is still there today. And there are over 300 species of birds that have been seen in Sapsucker Woods area since then. That's pretty cool. So, you know, Dr. Allen had a dream and he um, networked Yeah. With, through his kindness and his enthusiasm. It, it happened. Um, Cornell Labs of Ornithology is a rare combination of science, art, of research and popular education that comes together, and it was Dr. Allen who brought them together in the in the lab form, and it was always Dr. Allen's hope that similar projects would spring up um, over the country in support of the value of natural areas where beauty, grace, free, freedom of wild birds, relax the mind and enrich the spirit. And there is a hiking path through Sapsucker Woods uh, 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 Wilderness Trail. Yeah. Well, well, on the video, when we watch it from Cornell uh, bird cams that we watch here in, in the store in Mesa, um, you can kind of hear people talking sometimes. So there's obviously got to be some sort of trail that they walk by because it picks up the microphone, picks up the people talking occasionally. And I wouldn't even have thought about um, doing this podcast if I hadn't met Dr. Allen's um, great um, niece. Yeah, she lives customer here. here. Uh, yeah, yes. yeah, nice. Yes. And she shared some insight, and I'm like, whoa, he sounds too cool not to talk about. Yeah, very cool. <laughs> With a little bit of roots here in the Arizona area. So, yes. yeah, it's very cool. So those of you who haven't checked out the Cornell Bird Cams, just Google it. Cornell Bird Cams. I'll also put a... Um, a list of it at, on the show notes and check it out. You can do Sapsucker Woods if you want to. They have one right now in the winter time. They have one for Ontario and we get some really cool um, pine grosbeaks on there right now. Um, during the spring and summer, they have one in Texas and it's all about hummingbirds and you can see nine different species of hummingbirds, if not more on there. So it's a really cool website to check out and it's completely free. You can watch it on 
your computer, your phone, your TV, if you have one of those TVs hooked up to the internet. And it's really, really, really cool. And because of Dr. Allen, we have wow. that as a resource today, yes. which is yes. so, so we cool. We can watch it snow in Arizona. Yeah. <laughs> in New York. But we can see the pretty uh, snow, but be nice and warm here in Arizona. Yes, yes. <laughs> and this morning, it, um, Sapsucker Woods, the feeding area, was full of chickadees. Oh, nice. Yeah, little chickadees. All right, so today I'm also going to do a plant spotlight. And the plant spotlight today is going to talk about the velvet mesquite. This has become one of my favorite trees here since we have lived here. And this is a tree that is native to southwest and southern Arizona. And depending on the amount of water it receives, it can grow up to 20 feet tall with a spread of 30 feet. Um, but that's more typical in a riparian area or if it's in your yard, you're like watering it every day. Um, in more drier climates, which is pretty much what we have here in the valley, you're looking at it reaching about 10 feet tall with a 15 foot spread. Uh, still, that's a nice tall tree, uh, nice spread. Um, it is a deciduous tree, so it does lose its small fern-like green leaves in the fall and winter. In the spring, it'll have a three inch long fuzzy yellow flower that blooms, which will attract native bees and honeybees. The flower looks kind of like a little bottle brush, kind of, sort of like a little bottle brush or like those little fuzzy, squirmy, caterpillary things oh, that you can so have when you're like your kid. The, yeah, 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 yeah. That's, um, so it looks kind of like a little bottle brush and it um, smells kind of sweet and tangy. I always um, think it smells like a, a sweet tart, like how a sweet tart would smell mm -hmm. if you were, that's kind of what I, I, I feel it uh, smells like. So it's uh, one of my, my husband's favorite too, because he really likes plants that have a nice smell Fragrance. to them. Yeah. Because yeah. some of them are stinky. Yeah, some of them are not <laughs> Or some of them are pretty, but they don't smell at yes. all. So he really likes the ones that have a, a smell. Um, in the summer, pods will appear as the flowers begin to go to seed. And the pods can grow almost five inches in length, um, about half an inch wide, and they're tan with red streaks. So they're actually quite pretty, pretty Yep, in themselves. Uh, it is drought tolerant and it's really not picky about soil type. Uh, the lower branches can actually be pruned to give it more of a tree-like appearance if you want that kind of look. But leaving, more, leaving it more bushy will attract birds into nest in that area. Um, many different kinds of wildlife are attracted to the seed pods and it is the host plant for the Lita hair streak butterfly. Oh. Yeah, it's a tiny little hair streak, but boy, is it a gorgeous one. Um, and so it's a small little one, but that's really the only host plant we have for it around here, which is very cool. So the velvet mesquite is eye pleasing all year round and is a super wildlife friendly tree. That's a good idea. Yeah, I like it quite a bit. I actually just planted one in our yard about two years ago. And it's still, it's taking its time to grow, but I don't. <laughs> it's not a fast grower. It's not a fast grower, but I don't water it a lot either. I mean, I'm out in the desert desert. And so it gets water when I'm like, oh gosh, I got to water it. I forgot. And, or when it rains. So it's definitely slow growing when it doesn't have a lot of water. But if you water it more consistently, it's going to grow a lot faster. So does it grow all year long? Is it a tree that, or does it go dormant? Because I'm finding some of my native plants, unbeknownst to me, I thought were dead, but they actually go dormant. Yeah, well, it is deciduous, so it loses its um, leaves, and I'm assuming it takes kind of a little break and works on its roots during the fall and winter time, because uh, I'm not seeing any growth right now from it, but uh, it has grown a new little branch. There's new little branch kind of stubs it towards the bottom. Um, but mine is only like, we're talking like 18 inches tall right now. <laughs> so it's it's baby, baby tree. But yeah, I would assume that since it loses its leaves, it probably takes a little bit of break with growth in the fall and winter and then 
does all of its um, really cool, fast growing, fast with parentheses around it, growing <laughs> in the spring and summer. Wow. wow. That's so, cool. Yeah, but, it is. It's but a nice I, one. I, yeah, I have noticed with um, native plants, though, that um, they're hardy. In other words, they, I didn't have to cover any of my native plants in the yeah. last freezes that we, or cold freeze that we had recently. But they do go dormant. So a couple of my plants I thought I'd lost because they dropped their leaves. But yeah. But then I went to the nursery and they said, oh, no, it's just it's just dormant. I'm like, oh, good. I'm glad I didn't pull it out. Yes. So I just want my list, the listeners to realize, you know, that. Yeah, we do have seasonal yeah. changes here. Not everything just, is going to look the same all year round. It's yes. just very subtle. So you didn't kill it. It's just taking a nap. Yes, exactly. <laughs> taking a long winter's nap. <laughs> all right. Well, that's what we've got about Arthur. Augustus. Augustus Allen. Allen. Yes. So I hope you guys. Yes, AAA. My goodness. So I hope you guys enjoyed it and definitely check out the Cornell Labs cameras and you'll have so much wildlife viewing. All right. Thanks, guys.